Can you heal from abuse? What do I do after leaving my narcissist? What does a healthy relationship look like? These concerns cross the minds of over 20 people every minute, over 28,800 people every day. And the sad fact is, we still don't talk about it enough. Healing from emotional abuse isn't a band-aid situation, but it doesn't have to take years either. The lives of millions of other survivors around the world have been impacted by their narcissist. Yours doesn't have to. To show you how to live a free, confident, and peaceful life, your host and founder of the Healing from Emotional Abuse philosophy, Marissa F. Cohen. Welcome back to Breaking Through Our Silence. Today, I have Tracy Sharp again, returning guest. Gosh, I'm so excited. Tracy Sharp hosts amazing educational workshops about how to manage yourself after trauma. It's about looking at things in retrospect so people can move forward and heal. She also focuses on how people of color are less likely to be believed when reporting abuse and assault. Welcome back, Tracy. I'm so excited to have you back. Hi, Marissa. Thanks for having me back again. Of course. Oh my gosh. Okay. So let's dive in. When you and I were talking last time, it came up afterwards that you work with people of color or you as a person of color experienced a lot of backlash and a lot of disbelief and doubt when you were reporting. So can you tell us about that? Yes. And thank you before I even begin for having this very difficult conversation. So thank you for bringing this to the forefront. You know, as I said, my incident began in 2013. And as a woman of color, I went to, I followed the process because there are policies in place that say, you know, you report up the chain of commands. And I was told that because I was a divorced woman of color, a single mom at that point that I would not be believed over a decorated officer. That's disgusting. So because of your skin color, that had a negative effect on your report and your well-being. That's not fair. It isn't fair. And I have found that, you know, this is something that happens. I in the beginning took it personally and I was thinking well you know why me I've never been in trouble or let me say this I've never had a negative review performance review of any kind I'd like to think I have a pretty decent portfolio and so that really took me by surprise because it wasn't about the actual incident my skin color became the transgression and it also became the thing that negated the validity of my report because of the way I looked. Did you experience anything like ridiculous backlash that were specifically due to your skin color, do you think? That was all of it. I, in the beginning, when I tried to come forward, like I said, I tried to report three different times. So this isn't like a one and done. I tried to report three different times and each time I was told there was an issue because of the way I looked. And, you know, one of the things we have to be mindful of with the perpetrators and their enablers is they use little things against you. So when I talked before, when we spoke, I spoke to you about gaslighting. And so I can remember once saying, you know what, with everyone PTing like crazy, I need to get myself back in the gym because I'm getting fat. And it was just a matter of conversation. And that was used against me. And so I, I looked and I, you know, if you see any pictures of me, if you, or even if you know me, you know that I've never been overweight, but that was that one thing they picked up. 
And then there would be other little things like my children had to be picked up by six o'clock. And so those were the self-limiting things. Like, you know, I was told someone else has a nanny, so why don't you have a nanny? You know, typically who has a nanny, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was just little things like that that really added up to becoming a big problem. That's disgusting. So they did studies across colleges and had a white woman and a woman of color tell almost the exact same story and then people would have to decide whether or not they believed the story. And I think across the board, like 90-something percent of people believed the white woman, but most of the people, and I don't remember the exact percentage, maybe 80%, believed that the person of color was lying just based on their skin color. Absolutely. And I think what happens with people of color, you know, when you're hired in these organizations, there's a honeymoon phase. So you feel welcomed and, you know, it's hard to say, and I don't want to say I was a tokenized hire because I don't think that would be fair, but that's what I began to feel like afterwards. And I will tell you, even in presenting, because I am a platform trainer, you know, and so even getting up in front of audiences and teaching for the Marine Corps, there have been times when I've been asked not to participate in my own projects and I hate to say this, but I was told that I wasn't a part of the Blonde Ambition Tour. And there were two other individuals there who were, you know, blonde hair, blue eyed, thin. And I was actually asked not to participate. And it's disgusting. And so you go from the honeymoon phase to then reality sets in. And so you start to point out transgressions or, you know, the microaggressions and you, you know, what's going on with this? I'm the one that put this entire project together. Why am I not presenting? And so I was told that it looks better to have someone that fit the mold and I didn't fit the mold. That's disgusting. Yes, it, it really is. You know, and these are the things we fight. And so that's why I'm so vocal about it. I know that there are other people that experience these same transgressions and these same repetitive injuries and people live their lives not speaking up about it. And that has to be so painful, living your life feeling like everything is against you. I mean, I can't even imagine that. I'm a white woman that came from a sheltered home. So I have no idea what that feels like. Yes, um, it's difficult. It is because then there's the denial of racism. You know, once you bring it up, then there's the denial and wait a minute, you know, Tracy, uh, that didn't happen that way. And I'm saying explain, because if you help me understand, then I can explain to others what's going on and we can still do really great work here. But that's when the targets come into play. And then it is, well, we needed someone to add something else when you didn't need them in the beginning. And I want to point out that I was the purchase card holder, you know, the human rights protection official. Like there were so many other collateral duties I had that other people didn't have, but they didn't look like me. And so they were the ones that were put out in the forefront. There have been others who weren't even trained. They weren't platform trainers who have trained in my place because of the way they looked. And it, it is, it's really disgusting. I'm so sorry that you went through that and probably still go through it. Like that's so not okay. And I wish there were better words that weren't just a string of obscenities. 
No, there aren't. But I think we need to be honest and have the conversations, which is why I'm stepping out <laughs> and talking about it. And what happens is, you know, we go, we get these educations and we get all these certifications and specialties. And so when we present a portfolio, it looks a certain way. And unfortunately, sometimes the view of what the person having that portfolio should look like, it, it doesn't match up. But that's a preconceived notion. You know, you can't identify what a person looks like based on their, their accolades. I mean, you'd probably never think that I looked the way I look if you saw my portfolio. You'd probably think I was like a 40-year-old woman with wrinkles and 12 kids. I mean, you just, you can't judge somebody like that. And that's, that's the problem in, in our society, in my, in my very humble opinion, is that we have these dumb preconceived notions based on stereotypes. Yes, yes. And so in addition to fighting the sexual harassment, the sexual assaults, and all of the other sexual misconduct and transgressions across the board, this is an added layer. So it isn't just the actual offense. There are so many caveats to it. So it isn't just one fight. You are a champion for continuing to fight and continuing to speak out. Thank you. And keep shouting this out loud because this is the kind of dumb stuff that needs to end. It needs to be silenced. We need to stop assigning believability to a, a race or a color. That's garbage. Right. I agree 100%. The thing for me is, um, as a mature woman, <laughs> I, uh, I know that there are so many others coming up behind us and they need this. This is a blueprint for them to be able to just really decipher what's going on around them and ask those questions and document, document, document. Sometimes it helps, other times it doesn't, but it will definitely help that person know they aren't crazy in this. A lot of times, and I, I speak a lot about the, you know, the, the gaslighting and the false information and, you know, well, it wasn't that way, but actually it was. And it's okay to say that. It's okay if that's your feeling. And then we need to challenge these beliefs. And that's where the issue lies. Let's, let's challenge. Let's challenge those beliefs. And let's say we don't know what the reception will be. We don't know whether or not someone like me could go in and, and I'd like to think I'm a pretty decent trainer. I've received great feedback across the board. I've been doing this work for about 15 years now and I've not had one person have a complaint. And then to get to this position and to have someone judge me just based on what their preferences, because I guarantee you it wasn't everyone else's preference or I would not have been harassed the way I was. Thank you for building this blueprint. I mean, you are doing, you're doing a huge part in changing the world and changing the way people perceive people and professionals. I mean, it's disgusting that that's something that we even need to talk about. It is. It really is. But we know that it is far reaching. And so it isn't unique unto me. This is the experience. We have to change the narrative around all of it. Around race, around sexual assault, around people of color who have been assaulted. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Do you mind telling us a little bit about your workshops? I'm intrigued. So what I do is um, I limit them to 10 people. 
and I have a couple now that I'm doing. The one that I that's been really successful is the um, working with women of color and sexual misconduct in the workplace. And so I vet out the participants. I, I have to vet them because we really we unpack some heavy stuff. And the last thing you want to do is get in a workshop and feel like either you're not understood or that someone's a spy, um, for lack of better words, but someone's in there and the intentions aren't pure. And what I like to do is speak to each one's experience because we all have a voice and there's nothing worse than being lost in translation with everyone else's story. And so that's why I limit it. My capacity is 10. Personally, that's about what I can handle. I sometimes do four-hour workshops. Sometimes it's eight hours, depending on the content we're covering. So I cover everything from the actual experience itself, whether it is the harassment or the assault. And then we talk about how to unpack it and how to reframe it. And I never let anyone leave without resources. So one of the biggest things for me is making sure that whoever participates in my workshops, they leave with a plan. And they can always touch back if we need to revisit it or whatever, but they have to leave with a plan to move forward. Whether that is pursuing the EEO process, finding the right attorney to represent them, finding the right therapist, the right medical doctors, whether or not they need to follow up and do research on whether medications will work for them or whether it's yoga or meditation, just making sure they have that information, understanding how it can benefit them, and then having a plan. And one of the biggest parts of the plan is, is not only having the resources, but having a strong, solid support system. And, you know, there are times when we say, oh, you know, I can call my mom or I can call my sister. I really teach people how to realistically develop the support system they need because someone loving you like, you know, a parent or a friend or a significant other, it doesn't always mean that they are able to support you in a way that you need to be supported. So that's basically what I cover in, in all of the workshops. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. So not only are you helping them fight through their trauma, but you're giving them a community and you're giving them a, a safety plan. That's phenomenal. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for saying that. Um, we have to one person at a time. I hope you understand like the value of that. People will go to therapy, leave therapy and like immediately feel relieved. And then the next day wake up and be lost again. So by handing them and creating with them, making them a big part of their safety plan, I think that that's so powerful. Yes, I think it is. I think we teach victims how to be victims. I like to teach victims how to be survivors. And if they are at the center of their own plan, then they are empowered to reach out and develop whatever it is they need. The resources are interchangeable, and that's the one the thing. It's not a one-size-fits-all for everyone. Right. There's no one right healing journey. Everyone, it's very personalized. Thank you so much. So how can people get in touch with you about your workshops? 
they can go to witchnarrative.com. It's www.witchnarrative.com. They can look over the website. There are a few resources. I uploaded a few short videos, you know, just to <laughs> let people know they aren't alone and some of the things they're experiencing. Some of those visceral responses are, they're common, so people don't feel like they're way out there by themselves. To contact me on the website, there is a contact sheet they can fill out and I get the information and I respond within 24 hours. That's amazing. Thank you for the service that you're doing for survivors to help them heal. And, you know, thank you for speaking with me on on this really, really difficult topic. You know, I think we have to because there are times when you feel like your experience is the only experience and no one will get it. One of the things that I've spoken to you about that I don't mind sharing with the listeners is, you know, my son was gung-ho and ready to join the Marine Corps until all of this happened. And so now his whole life has been impacted. And so he is not comfortable. I am not comfortable either with his name, his last name being the same as mine and my story being so highly publicized. We know that there are some people out there that will hold that against him. So he's decided now he's going to go to college for two years, stay at home, and then he'll transfer to a four-year college. But that wasn't his plan. And I think just letting people know that your whole life is impacted in ways that you never believe it will be. So it isn't just your life, it's those that are attached to you as well. It's not a one-person issue. It becomes a familial issue, right? Everybody that you are close to is impacted based on your trauma, the people who live in your home, who share your lineage, like everybody is affected. Sure. Even friends, because when you think about it, you know, if you suffer from anxiety or depression or PTSD, there are times when you turn down invitations and there comes a time I can remember for months on end, not wanting to leave the house. And so where I was someone who was really social and, you know, got out and I did things and we hiked and I connected with friends and just had a really great social life. That all came to a screeching halt because I just was incapable. And thank God I found a wonderful therapist who let me know that it wasn't me. It isn't you. This is what you've experienced, you know, and we'll work through this. So now I'm able to clearly state my needs or my limitations. So rather than saying, oh, I'm not going or ducking a phone call, I can say I'm not up to it today. You know, I'm dealing with some things over here. And uh, once I get through those, then sure, we can go have a glass of wine at the winery. <laughs> That's amazing. And I'm glad that you're able to set those boundaries. And for people listening, I know that needing to take space and declining invitations, that's normal and it's okay. You know, don't ever feel guilty for needing that time in that space and knowing how to set boundaries. Yes, it's being able to state it clearly. Even if you can't communicate it at that moment, being able to clear that up because it's empowering. It's like taking control of your life. It's one small step towards taking control. Thank you so much again for being here, Tracy. You're phenomenal and you are such a wealth of knowledge and information and I'm so happy that we got connected. I am too. Thank you, Marissa. And don't forget, if you need help out there, I'm at www.witchnarrative.com. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, you have to check out www.marissafaycohen.com backslash private dash coaching. That's www.marissafaycohen.com backslash private dash coaching. Marissa would love to develop a made for you healing plan to heal from emotional abuse. She does all the work and you just show up. Stop feeling stuck, alone, and hurt and live a free, confident, and peaceful life. Don't forget to subscribe to the Healing from Emotional Abuse podcast and follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Marissa F. Cohen and Instagram at marissa.fay.cohen. We'd love to see you there.